Our readings this morning are from Luke, and the first one we just sang. So now we'll hear it as the spoken word. From chapter 4. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And from Luke 14, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is stopping, is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want from me for you to do? What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm afraid I may disappoint some people by saying this. I, I don't understand Marvel, okay? Um, there are too many movies, too many timelines, too many characters. <laughs> In the height of COVID, uh, one of my dear best friends um, tried, we were locked down together, of course, my roommate, she, tried to take me on a chronological journey through all of the films. We would get to a certain point in a movie, she would pause and she would say, look, this is important. Pay attention. You're going to need this later. And I was like, okay. Um, I don't really understand anything else that's gone on in this movie or in this 
whole, uh, whole journey, but I don't know if this will help me. <laughs> I'm kind of joking. I, I do enjoy many of the Marvel movies. I can really appreciate the talent that it takes to transfer popular characters from classic, legendary comic to screen and not only create new characters and stories from that beginning, but to provide mind-blowing continuity over many different iterations. So that's my Marvel spiel. I promise it has a point. I welcome now all of you back to the LCU, the Luke Cinematic Universe. <laughs> so far in Luke's telling of the Jesus story, we have witnessed Jesus's ministry to those on the margins, the physical healings, his shifting of culture's perceptions about community, holiness, generosity. Amidst its different movements and vignettes, Luke is trying to show us one big story about who Jesus is, the vision of God's kingdom, and what that means for his readers. If this passage that we read and um, a few verses prior to that in Luke 18 were a part of a feature film within the LCU, this scene would be a point of rising emotion and tension. Prior to the verses that Jeannie read for us, Jesus takes his disciples aside. They have um, had many different ministry opportunities along the way. Um, they, just before this is when the disciples uh, kind of made a blunder and like turned away all those precious kids. And Jesus is like, this is the point. Um, but as they get closer to Jericho, he pulls them aside and says, this is what's going to happen to the Son of Man. And if this was a point in the MC, or excuse me, the LCU, um, there would probably be this exciting, like, orchestral string composition in the background. It would probably be dark and stormy. They're on the way to Jerusalem, about to pass through Jericho, leading up to Jesus' arrest and death. They've been heading in this direction for almost 10 chapters. For us in this series, we've been, we've been on the journey to Jerusalem for several, several months with Luke. And in just a few more, Jesus will be on trial. Starting in verse 31, as I mentioned, Jesus pulls his friends aside. Seems like it would be a huge spoiler, but he tells them, this is what's going on. This is what we're walking into. It isn't the first time that Jesus has spoken about the fate awaiting the Son of Man. He tries to explain this again to the disciples, but they don't understand. They haven't been understanding much at all recently. Um, they lack some kind of vision, just not, of who, not just of who Jesus is and what he came to do, but for what it all means, for how this is supposed to change them, those in need and in the physical, wor and the physical world itself. This blind beggar, on the other hand, in Mark's gospel, he's named Bartimaeus. He possesses insight and boldness in a way that the others in our story do not. In these vignettes, we're invited to consider our own vision. How do we see God's story aligning with our own? What are we misunderstanding or not seeing? And how does the triune God want to expand our vision? First, let's explore how we're invited to see a fuller picture of Jesus as Luke presents him. There we go. 
So throughout this series, we have talked about Jesus, his presentation of the kingdom of God to his disciples, the religious leaders, the poor, to common people. He presents a kingdom that is not only subversive to the idea of a kingdom that people have, it's a kingdom that operates antithetical to the society in which they live. I took us back to Luke 4 this morning because I think it's important to recall the tone that Luke set for us at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In the synagogue in Nazareth, just before calling his disciples, Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah. I'll read again. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now at first, everyone in the synagogue praises him and is super excited. Look at our very own Jesus, son of Joseph. He's such an impressive teacher. But when Jesus tells his neighborhood that he won't be performing the same miracles uh, as he will in other places, they, uh, they get a little frustrated and a little mad. No prophet is accepted in their hometown, he says, and the Nazarenes are no longer impressed. Jesus reminds them of how, you remember Elijah? Like, he wasn't called to Israel, he was called to this widow in Sidon. And these folks are not happy. They say, what about us? From the beginning, Jesus' messianic identity is inescapably wrapped up with a call to fulfill what the prophets had spoken, a proclamation to liberate the oppressed and to make the kingdom of God accessible to all people. So in Luke 18, as he's heading into Jerusalem for his passion, his actions show that this story hasn't changed. As I mentioned, when he pulls aside his disciples, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Just as in the beginning of his ministry, Luke reminds us that Jesus' mission and destiny, although different from what is expected of him, are the fulfillment of what the prophets have spoken over time. We continue in those verses in verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, right after this conversation, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Here we see a a major presentation of Jesus' identity. First, as Jesus approaches Jericho with his disciples, he is referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. The people undoubtedly have heard about this teacher, 
likely about the statements that he has made, the miracles that he has performed throughout his ministry. And when this beggar, Bartimaeus, asks what is going on, Jesus of Nazareth is an identifier that means something to the people. But then, from Bartimaeus himself, a different identifier. The beggar cries out, Jesus, son of David. And not only does he label Jesus with this loaded, controversial term, but Jesus responds to it. And we'll talk more about this scene in a couple minutes. Jesus has been walking in his identity and purpose long before he is known for who he truly is. The disciples have had moments of clarity mixed with confusion. They were expecting a Messiah. Peter even names him as such back in chapter 6. But the fullness of that term is now starting to be revealed, named by a poor, blind beggar outside of Jericho. Jesus, through Luke's words, is showing us a new vision of humanity here. And Jesus is inviting us to see people differently. So Bartimaeus, which I'm going to call him Bartimaeus, like Mark does, since I would prefer that he has a name. He's in one of the lowest castes of ancient first century society. Blind beggars were considered, as several scholars note, refuse and expendable. So on the one hand, when people are telling Bartimaeus to pipe down, stop yelling for Jesus, they're doing so because his voice and place in society, they don't mean that much. His cry to Jesus, the disturbance that he's causing, is viewed as a distraction. It is not unlike the response of the disciples to the children being brought to Jesus earlier in chapter 18. The people do not expect a teacher like Jesus who has gained so much notoriety to take the stop, to take the time to stop and notice Bartimaeus. Uh, Joel B. Green writes, in terms of power and privilege, such a person like Bartimaeus would belong to that five or 10% of the population known as expendables, for whom society as a whole had no need marginal to the daily lives of others, and if not for the premium placed on almsgiving in Jewish circles, short-lived. So calling out for this son of David, oh, sorry, on the other hand, um, Bardus's uh, action in calling out to Jesus is not only controversial, but dangerous. Calling out for the son of David is not only a messianic label, but the messianic identity and title would have carried other meanings, namely the overthrowing of Roman rule over the Jewish people. It could prove to be a problem, not only for Jesus, but for other members of the Jewish community. Justo Gonzalez remarks that by healing Bartimaeus, Jesus himself is taking a material risk. The man called him son of David, and now Jesus shows that he indeed has taken, that he indeed has power by healing the man. To those present, this would be proof that the blind man was justified in calling him the son of David. So Jesus' response to Bartimaeus, it affirms Jesus' identity, as I mentioned earlier, but it also gives us 
a new and expanded vision of humanity that Jesus has for people, especially those who are normally ignored or cast aside. In summary, this is how Jesus interacts with Bartimaeus, the person, in just a few points. First, Jesus allows his own identity to be revealed by Bartimaeus, by one who wouldn't be expected to have special knowledge and definitely not special standing. Jesus responds to Bartimaeus as the Messiah. Next, Jesus asks for Bartimaeus to be brought near to him. He tells those who had been rebuking Bartimaeus to bring him over. He asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And finally, he, Jesus, heals Bartimaeus as the Messiah. And the one who had been condescended toward and ignored is seen and uplifted. And in addition to all these things, Bartimaeus finds it possible to become a part of a community. We don't know exactly um, what uh, Bartimaeus' result is within his own community. We can hope that Jesus' healing for him would provide him the ability to have better standing in his own community, but what Luke tells us is that when Bartimaeus is healed and everyone responds in praise to God, Bartimaeus goes with Jesus. Bartimaeus follows him along the road. Back in Joel Green's commentary, he talks about this and says that there would be hope that in Bartimaeus' healing um, that he would find belonging in community. He is not returned by Jesus to his community, however, but instead follows Jesus in discipleship. In this way, this man, formerly existing outside of ordinary circles of friend and family, is identified within the community of God's people particularly with the kin group made up of Jesus and his band of followers. I want to be sure to take a moment uh, and recognize some of the differences between the context of this story and our own. We still have a long way to go in our culture in fighting stigma and discrimination against people with disabilities. Um, and certainly in that context in the first century, there could have been um, assumption that Bartimaeus had done something to cause his blindness. Um, his situation was even more devastating in that he was not only uh, disenfranchised by his disability, but economically as well. But I want to state clearly that there's no indication of, in this story that Bartimaeus' blindness was the result of any sin. We don't know the cause of his blindness, but we do know that when Bartimaeus met Jesus, Jesus asked him what he most deeply desired. And in Jesus' power, compassion, and love, he gave that to Bartimaeus. So we not only find new ways of seeing our fellow neighbor as we learn more of who Jesus is, but Jesus invites us into a broader understanding of the kingdom of God. Big term, what does that even mean? 
Although we are... God and life in community is supposed to look like. Old Testament scholar J.H. Wright says this. When Jesus came, proclaiming the kingdom of God, he was not talking about a faraway place or an ideal or an attitude. It was not just pie in the sky or joy in the heart. The reality of God's rule cannot be spiritualized into heaven nor later, nor or later, or privatized into individuals. But the term itself speaks of the aligning of human life on earth in all its dimensions with the will of the divine government of God. To pray, may your kingdom come, is to pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The one must produce the other. What do we see when we look at Jesus, when we look at the kingdom of God? Do we see a structure of rules and regulations, a life of holiness and perfection that we are supposed to attain? In Jesus, do we see a radical, a teacher, a prophet? What did the people see? as Jesus passed through their villages, taught and healed. 
What did Bartimaeus see? Jesus, through the Gospel of Luke, invites us into a life in the kingdom. This is a life of not always understanding the mission laid out in front of you. It's a life of laying yours down, of being asked to escort your enemy and the ostracized into Jesus's embrace. It's a life of asking Jesus, the Messiah, for mercy and being met with Jesus's loving gaze asking you, what do you want me to do for you? Life in the kingdom is being challenged, and it is being brought to repentance and hope of everlasting life. And it's also being brought into flourishing right now relationships with the triune God and with your neighbors. I'm going to leave you with what priest and scholar N.T. Wright concludes in his commentary on Luke. There is so much still that we do not understand. So much in the world and indeed in scripture that remains hidden from us as Jesus' words were to the disciples. There is much that if we understood it fully might make us turn back and no longer wish to follow Jesus on the road. But Luke is telling us that if we go with him, Jesus will take the full weight of that evil onto himself. Indeed, that he has already done so on the cross, so that the things we still face need hold no terrors for us. Equally, there is much already given to us when we believe and trust in God's power to heal and restore that should make us praise him even as we go forward into the unknown. So what is your invitation? Are you facing an unknown future, an unknown call from God? Are you challenged in your response to those on the sidelines who seem like a nuisance? Are you the one crying out boldly recklessly even, for mercy. Know that Jesus meets you in every place. And may we all have the boldness to say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Amen.